You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, today's Bible reading is Exodus um, chapter 28, verses 1 to 5, and chapter 29, verses 1 to 19. Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments they shall make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Now this is what you shall do to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, and mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers made with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket, and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of ethod, and the ethod and the breastpiece, and gird him with skillfully woven band of the ethod. And you shall set the turban on the head and the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and buy caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever, and you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on, on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> thank you, Graham, and uh, thank you, Abby, uh, for reading the word for us. Well, today we're looking at these two chapters, chapters 28 and 29 of uh, Exodus, under the heading of the necessity of a set-apart priesthood. 
Uh, one of the things I'm discovering in life is that the older you get, the more you come to appreciate history. Um, in 1881, the first meeting of the Christian Endeavour Association took place at Portland, Maine, in North America. 25 years later, there were 67,000 different interdenominational societies throughout the world with over 4 million followers. My mother wanted me to go to the local Christian Endeavour group at the Yorktown Baptist Church in South Australia. She probably thought it would help me to keep me on the straight and narrow. So on a Friday afternoon, once I'd got free of the school grounds, I would sheepishly put my red tin Christian Endeavour badge on and front up to the meeting in the Yorktown Baptist Church Hall. Once a month, Lila Laddie would uh, lead us in a consecration meeting. Consecration was a, a key component in Christian Endeavour. Uh, Lila was no musician, so we skipped the consecration songs and concentrated on pledges, prayers and projects. The pledges had good wording. But for me, the, the pledging was more a matter of compliance than intention. At that time, Christianity for me was simply something assumed we toe the line and endeavour to do the right thing. I had little concept of sin and its consequences and heard little of the cleansing and saving power of the gospel. Well, here in Exodus 28-29, there's a strong feature on consecration. And you may have noticed it in the reading, the Bible reading today, uh, the you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Uh, and when you read through these chapters, you're struck by the degree of preparations needed for consecration as a priest and for meeting with God. The preparations were thorough and uh, they were exhaustive. Washing, robing, anointing and sacrificing. What we want to see from these chapters is that the vocation of the priesthood was a gracious provision of an all-holy God for coming before him and for serving him. Consecration means being made holy. So God gifted his people with priests and set them apart so that his people might worship him well in his holiness. Being a priest was a marvellous God-given vocation, but it also foreshadowed an even greater priesthood to come. In today's uh, godless Western culture, it seems that we meet priestly figures at almost every turn. It's something basic to all human society and culture because it's basic to human need. Everyone needs a priest. What I mean is that if you are not in the enjoyment of yourself, you will look to some other uh, person, some other priestly type to help you help lead you into that enjoyment of self. It might be a pastor, it might be a priest, or it might be a professional therapist of some kind. And, and you look to them to actually diagnose and direct your life. Here in Exodus 28, 29, we, we read of the fundamental need, though. The fundamental need is the need of a priest for approaching God. The early verses of chapter 28 uh, show God providing priests for his people. Uh, their role was to truly represent God to the people and the people to God. Aaron and, he, and his sons came to be priests, not by Moses' appointment, 
and not by self-appointment and not by some democratic vote, but through God who called and appointed them. The setting apart of Aaron and his sons was the initiative of a gracious God that would enable people to approach him in the splendour of his holiness. I think it's a reminder to us that our fellowshipping with God depends not on the things we do for him, but on the things that he does for us. At first glance, the requests in chapter 28 regarding the priest's garments appear over the top. Their style, their manufacture, their standout colours were all so, so elaborate. Why? Was it to show God was a great fashion designer? Or was it to show that people, uh, to show uh, his people the magnificence of his character? I think it was the latter. The magnificence of the garments represented who God is. A priest donned holy garments, as it says in verse 2, and again in verse 40, holy garments for glory and for beauty. In the ancient world, a vestment symbolised authority. Aaron's vestments were just, uh, weren't just for authority, but also to have dignity and honour. Something like a king or a queen has with their regalia. So the more prestigious the office, the more splendid the uniform. Uh, I guess that's what we see in army generals with their well-earned stripes, insignias and, and, and emblems. At the time, Israel had no monarchy. So the vestments made a high priest stand out as leader of the people. The priest's clothing was holy to God. The garments were meant to point people to the splendour of God. A letter that was written way back in the second century by Aristeus says, their appearance made one awestruck and dumbfounded. A man would think he had come out of this world into another one by the hallowed arrangement of every single detail. Priests were dressed to impress. You know the old saying, beauty is in the sight of the beholder. Uh, if you've been watching uh, Farmer Needs a Wife, uh, at one point the, the guys and the girls come together in Sydney in all their finery. It was a splendid sight of beauty for not just uh, the men but also the women. In a like way, the priest's garments portrayed and pointed to the beauty of God's person and character. They pointed to God. It was like uh, creation does uh, that is mentioned in Romans 1 and verses 19 and 20, where the sight of, of the magnificent, the beauty of creation causes to have an appreciation of God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. The catching sight of the highly decorated high priest generated a similar, similar appreciation of God uh, to the wonder of his gracious provision and, and to his impeccable holiness. It all went to show that approaching an all-holy God required careful preparation and attention to detail. Riken says in his commentary, God can only accept what is suitable for his own nature and character. Mark Deva says, as the sovereign Lord and lawgiver, God intends to make his people visibly holy. 
As they obey the laws, they will be distinct from all other peoples, a distinction that reflects God's holy character. So the priest's dress, position and duties needed to be accord with God's law and God's nature and God's presence. There are lots of people who try and dress themselves up for God. I think uh, if we think about it, we all do. We dress ourselves up morally or with our do-goodery and kindness. Uh, this particular July has been declared by some uh, one or other, or perhaps by government, to be a kindness month. Uh, I think every month, every week of every month should be a kindness month. Go back a few decades and there were lots of people who were who thought that going to church gained respectability and secured social advantages. They would never have thought of going to church without their Sunday best. The argument was if you would dress up to meet the Queen, why wouldn't you dress up for Almighty God? Nowadays we're far more casual and tend to deliberately dress down for Sunday worship in contrast to the, the kind of dress we have to use in our professions during the week. Now, I'm not suggesting that we suddenly introduce dress-up Sundays. The question is, why do we dress down when the priests dressed up? I'll leave you to answer that. Here in uh, chapter 28-29, the whole gamut of responsibility for priests was spelled out setting them apart in vocation and dress and devotion and duty. It's a reminder to us that preparation is called for in approaching God. Just as it was with the priests, the biggest preparation needs to take place with us. Remember, Aaron and his sons were sinners seeking to lead other sinners. So the first preparation they needed to make was to tend to their own sin. Their lives needed to be cleansed. The problem was that immediately after cleansing and sacrifice, they would engage in another round of sinning that would require a new round of offerings. It was a merry-go-round process. The whole religious process was laboriously repetitive, like the repetitive process of having to go to Mass in the Roman Catholic system, of having to actually reenact the Eucharist to no cleansing. Here, the Old Testament system begged for a better way of approaching God, and that God has provided. In his great grace, God has sent his eternal son to be our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 4, 5 and 10 speaks about how um, Christ was called by God just as Aaron was, and, and speaks about how he was appointed and how he was designated by God. So that uh, in Christ coming as our great high priest, he would put an end to the incessant round of making animal sacrifices. He would offer one sacrifice for all time. Hebrews 10 verses 10 and 14 puts it well. Having been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus was called and consecrated as high priest, but not just for a time, forever. Jesus holds his priesthood, it says in the scriptures, permanently 
but he continues forever. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The standout features of Jesus' priesthood are he was God's choice. In fact, God's son, he was the only one who had the qualifications for being a high priest. He was given a permanent position and he was made and he made one sacrifice and offering himself. Well, how wonderful that God in his grace has met the need of the whole human race by providing not any priest, but the priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. What we need to grasp is that the first priestly consecration that we've read about here in 28 and 29 of Exodus was necessary for dealing with sin and getting people to God. But it foreshadowed a greater taking to God. Jesus was called to deal with sin and get us to God. He did it with one supreme sacrifice that was one mighty big blow to sin and to Satan. It was all done so that we might enter into a relationship with God. I wonder, has Jesus taken you to his Father? Through Jesus, we come to understand the Father and appreciate his utter holiness. Now, the second thing we want to see from these chapters is the need of sacrifice in the consecration of a priest. In 28 and verse 4 and in 29 verse 1, priests are spoken of as servants of Yahweh. The tabernacle with the holy place was God's house, so those who worked there on his behalf were his servants. Priests were consecrated to the Lord's service in the Lord's house. And while they helped the the guests and the worshippers, they really worked for the Lord, not for the people. Notice the second person singular, you, in verse 1. Moses would be the first to administer such consecration featuring a sacrifice. Being garmented, anointed and ordained, Aaron and his sons were commissioned for God's service. The early verses of chapter 29 speak of the materials needed to be secured for the step-by-step process of consecration. Firstly, it required a top-class bull and two rams to be brought along with the wheat, flour, bread, cakes and wafers. Apparently, the priests didn't have to go and lasso their own bulls or round up their own rams. Others did that for them. Regardless, it would have taken time to collect everything and position it ready for action. The sacrificing of the bull was the priest's sin offering. The first ram that was sacrificed was to symbolise their dedication, and the second ram was slaughtered as a blood offering for atonement and the priest's justification. Having been trained as a family farm butcher of mine by father, I can well imagine the noisy, messy spectacle with blood splattered everywhere that was there at the tabernacle. I can well imagine the animals who, who sensed death and wouldn't go down without a fight. The whole scene would have been disgusting and repugnant, but it was it was there and it was happening in such a way as to make us holy. 
and to come before a holy God. The preparation and the presentation of the bread and the wafer was far more orderly, far more pleasant and far more dignified. Uh, these were part of a, an offering waved before the Lord uh, and then uh, burnt and giving a pleasant aroma to the Lord. Plenty of oil was used to depict being made holy before God. The whole consecration required the best materials being used in the best way. If you read verse 4 of chapter 29, it shows that the consecration also included ritual washing. Uh, my mind went back to the time when I was a farm boy and I loved dirt and loved playing in it. Uh, and when it came to presenting myself at the meal title, I would have to pass inspection, mostly mum's inspection. She would check in and behind my ears and cast her inspecting eye over the front and back of my hands and uh, look at my nails and even look at my elbows. And I quickly discovered that a splash of water and a swish of the face washer didn't suffice. Many, many times I was marched back to the bathroom with mum or dad's advice ringing in my ears. Cleanliness is next to godliness. My parents were saying, Godliness is number one in life, but number two is being clean. All of us need to be made clean because of sin. We uh, have the sin of the likes of profane language and sexual immorality and selfish ambitions and greedy thinking. And all those things pollute us. And, and sin's effects is such that even our righteous acts are described in the Bible and Isaiah as being like a filthy rag or a polluted garment. Ryken says we can only ever be clean if God makes us clean. It is God's holiness, it is his holy character that demands cleanliness. For a priest, a good wash from head to toe was needed before donning the priestly garments. Moses' job was to make sure Aaron and his sons didn't come to the tent of meeting unclean. They needed to be washed, and their washing needed to symbolise personal spiritual purification. Cleanliness was a prerequisite for consecration. To have a wash after sacrifice would have made more sense, but they needed to wash before the sacrifice. I mean, if they washed after sacrifice, it would be to rid themselves of blood stains or meat residue and smells. But here the consecration necessitated washing before sacrifice. It had to do with handling holy objects in the holy place, of coming in purity to the presence of an all-pure God. It's why God places a big store in the Bible on being clean and pure it's why God uh, emphasises the, the importance of approaching him with a pure heart, with a pure conscience, and with pure motives. Jesus showed better than anyone else that the making of a sacrifice was the pathway to knowing purity, to being clean. The Lord Jesus laid down his own life as a sacrifice for us all. He didn't come as a high priest to bring a bit of sparkle to our lives. He came to bring inner cleansing in our hearts and our consciences, to bring transformation. 
In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 11 and 12, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Then it says in verse 19 of uh, that passage in Hebrew, of that chapter, Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, with our hearts sprinkled with clean, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We need the washing of spiritual regeneration. The great thing is God has washed us by his spirit if we've come to believe in Christ. We are spiritually regenerated and now clothed with his son. He's washed us clean, robed us with his righteousness, anointed us with his spirit, and atoned and, and atoned for all our sin. How wonderful is that? And it all comes and it all arises from the one sacrifice that Christ has made for all time. When God went to such great lengths in Exodus 29 to ordain priests, what, what was this toward? Uh, what was uh, in mind? What was the, the, the direction? Oh, I think it was about serving the Lord well. Uh, and the third thing we want to see together today is that God's that God has a place for a priesthood in today's world. As we've seen, the Exodus priesthood foreshadowed even greater one to come. It also foreshadowed a more extensive and all-embracing priesthood involving all believers. What Jesus did through his high priestly sacrificial action on the cross realized the kingdom priesthood envisaged for his Exodus people in Exodus 19 and verse 6, of verses 4 to 6. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It is only through Christ that an individual can be introduced into the kingdom of priests. But that's just what happens. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and verses 4 to 5, it says, You yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Consequently, the New Testament uses the word priest to describe anybody who has come to believe in Christ as their saviour and has been saved from the sin by his atoning work. It means every believer has been consecrated and given a priestly calling. You are made a distinctive part of God's royal priesthood. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. You are now a priest for King Jesus. You're part of the priesthood, the royal priesthood of all believers. Every believer is a priest. How marvellous to be set apart and be made one uh, with Christ in his rich vocational action 
where we are participators and not spectators. The Old Testament priests were required to be participators. They were required to engage in serving God, to give counsel on how to follow God, to maintain the tabernacle or to maintain the tabernacle for a place to meet with God, to make sacrifices so people could come before God and provide representation on God's behalf. And then they were asked to make intercession to God on people's behalf as well. So as a priest of King Jesus, our life is now to be like his. We are to be a perpetual offering which brings pleasure to our Heavenly Father and life to other people. Our consecration into the priesthood takes place once and once only. The subject of consecration seems to be badly misunderstood by many believers and an expected routine in, in many Christian churches has evolved where you have to go to the front to consecrate and re-consecrate, surrender and re-surrender, commit and recommit. Some of you have probably been exposed to such a spiritual cycle. Out of spiritual deficiency or decline, you feel you need to do something to rectify your spiritual shortcomings and deficiencies. The problem is that in that cycle, the emphasis falls more on our doing than on what Christ has done. Let me put it to you this way. Sacrifice for sin comes before full consecration. Christ's atoning sacrifice is what consecrates us to live a new life. God has one stipulation for consecration. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You'll find that in Romans 6.13. Today, Christ has won a wonderful priesthood that consists of all believers who have a marvellous vocation to engage in. And, and that vocation consists of a number of things. Let me underline or, or, or share with you a few of those uh, that uh, stand out in the Scriptures. The first is a priestly ministry of praise. You read about that in Hebrews 2, verses 11 to 13. It's like starting your prayer time using a psalm of praise, as Helen did today in her prayer. And then, too, the vocation uh, involves a priestly ministry of proclamation. You read about that in Acts 26 and verses 15 to 18. But being a proclaiming priest is sharing your testimony with a neighbour or work colleague or over the fence or over lunch or over the phone. There's another uh, part of the vocation too, and that you, is you have a priestly ministry of practical service. Uh, mentioned in Romans 12, verses 1 and, and verses 7 and 8 of that same chapter. Uh, that's like uh, offering to walk the dog of a neighbour who can't leave their home because of COVID isolation. And then there's the, the priestly ministry of prayer to undertake. It's mentioned in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, where you set the alarm and get out of bed early and zoom along with the 7.30 a.m. morning prayer group. And then, too, there's the priestly ministry of worship, mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where you desire and you make a point of getting to public worship and uh, to 
public outings, to express your gifts, to put your gifts to work in the service and for the glory of God. So what we're saying is that uh, the consecration to, to priesthood involves a whole range of extraordinary possibilities and opportunities. You can be engaged at all kinds of levels. Can I encourage you? Explore your level of involvement. Explore, explore your level of ministry. Enjoy it and be open to extending it so you keep your priestly ministry on the boil, on the up and go. Well, having looked at uh, Exodus 28 and 29 in a very cursory way, uh, it gives us an incredible insight into God's incredible grace. Who thought that every believer would be given the qualification to be a priest by an all-holy God? By birth and by nature, we are all sinners separated from God and unable and disinclined to approach him. But Christ has dealt with our separateness and all the dirtiness of our lives through his substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross. And with grace, he welcomes us and honours us as we believe in him and makes us one of his priests. How great is that? He gives us dignity and honour so we can lift up our head and put our shoulders back because we are now a royal priest of King Jesus. And as a believer, we have a vocation, a vocation that is one with Christ in his work, given to the good of the Father and the good of all. God has consecrated you if you've believed in Christ. You are marked with Christ's blood, cleansed and clothed by Jesus to serve the living God and make a difference in this world. So with God's help, be a devoted be a dedicated, be a dependable, be a dynamic priest. Keep presenting your body as a living sacrifice and serving Christ. Keep up your involvement and be prepared to get more involved with people and helping them in their needs. The world with its wayward wisdom is in desperate need of priests, Christian priests, who will lead people to see that the true enjoyment of life is found in Christ and found in Christ alone. The great great high priest who's over all the earth. May God bless the truth of his word to our hearts and minds today. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.